is a podcast or a little bit of a flipped lesson for Unit 2 English for the comparative. And I'm joined today with, by Dr. Shaw, and we're going to look at a Wilfred Owen poem that's not part of the pack, but I think relates pretty well to Mindfield's miniskirts. Hello, Dr. Shaw. Hello, Mr. Woon, and thank you for having me today. Oh, yes, thank you for uh, joining the Year 11 English team and helping our students gain some insight into the comparisons between Owen um, and, uh, oh, what's and Minefields and Miniskirts. That is no trouble at all. I love poetry, and I think Owen is a very, very good poet. Bitterly sad, of course, that he died just before the end of the war. Yes. Uh, so we're doing looking at a poem called The Send-Off by Wilfred Owen. Now, this is actually, uh, I haven't had a chance to sort of um, go through the context of Owen, uh, but hopefully the students can pick up some of the context as we're going along the way um, through this poem, the first poem that we're going to look at. Um, so, Dr. Shaw, what is your first thoughts around The Send-Off by Wilfred Owen? Look, one of the things that I found really striking about this poem was the oxymoronic phrases and also the double meanings that run through the text. That really, really struck me right from the start because the send-off um, is, um, is both the literal event of, of these young men being sent off to war but I think it also can refer to a funeral, that a funeral can be described as a sending off, you know, it was a lovely mm. sending off for that person. And I think that right from the start then, Owen um, contributes to our feeling of the world being no longer clear, meanings no longer having just one, um, one reference point, you know, things stop meaning just one thing and start meaning two or more things. So I'm looking at the poem now, Mr. Woon, and I see, for example, at the end of the first stanza, grimly gay. The idea of um, that oxymoronic phrase where, where gay in this instance can no longer mean happy. This poem is written in 1918, um, but it's now grim. And I think, again, where you see their breasts were stuck all white with wreath and spray, and so they've got all these flowers on their chests, which you would expect to be something positive. You know, men wear flowers at um, weddings, for example, and then the next line, as men's are dead. So although the, um, although the soldiers are wearing celebratory flowers as they march off to war, um, he sees them as almost like walking corpses. And I think that um, that's what really struck me. What struck you? Uh, I think the uh, oxymoronic phase, phrases within the poem really stood out to me on the first read. Um, and, I, you know, I, from the first stanza, I really, uh, the darkening lanes, they sang their way down, way to the siding shed. And our siding shed um, is where the trains are. Yeah. And I just... I just, it's a quite a interesting image that it's it's quite claustrophobic because it's down the closed, darkening yeah. lanes, yet they're joyfully skipping their way down to something that is, um, and as, as a tone with all of Owen's poem, that there's a sense of um, death and that they are actually seeing their way to death. And I find that quite an interesting um, poem. And I think, like you have said, the, the, the double meaning between the send off, you know, farewelling them and also sending them off, I mean, it's since that um, at the end of that train line, wherever they're getting stationed, uh, potentially is that idea that they are not coming back either. So there's that both a happy 
uh, hiding the pain, I would say, is the best way to the way I think about this poem. Yeah. I also think of something you were saying in the office um, earlier in the week when we were in the office, um, this idea of them going down these close darkening lanes. The lane isn't dark, it's getting darker as they walk along it, you know, and I think that that relates, does it not, to miniskirts and minefields at the start where at the start they are quite optimistic um, as they approach, as they decide to go to Vietnam and it's only once they arrive that the full horror of war is made clear to them. So the darkening of the lanes um, to me connects with that sort of slow disillusionment that you see in mini mini fields, God, mini skirts and minefields. Yeah, and I think one of the other contrasting points is that the prologue of the play starts with disembodied voices who are talking about the experience of Vietnam and the only person we see on stage is the um, character who hasn't been to war but husband Mm. has suffered PTSD Um, and you know her life has become you know there's a sense is is an interesting opening because we're not allowed to get to know the stories of these women that went to war uh, but there's a sense of optimism or there's a sense of duty and care from my I believe her name character name is Margaret standing on stage alone talking about the war. Um, and I think that tone there's an interesting contrast to what we see here um, in the send-off about sending men off to um, to their deaths on these trains, um, where it is not, it's very, it's not, it's very thinly veiled that it's both duty and also horrible sacrifice. Um, whereas I think there's a better, better sense of patriotism within um, minefields and miniskirts. Definitely, definitely. One thing I want to flag that I think is important for the kids, Mr. Woon, is that although these trains for us in the 21st century read very much like World War II Holocaust trains, there's definitely that element to them. Um, Obviously, when he wrote this poem in 1918, and I looked this up, so um, he wrote it, it says, in 1918, after he'd been on one tour of duty and been invalided home and then was going back. Um, But he is definitely not aware of the Holocaust. And so the trains that are so evocative for us are less so for him. But I still think that there is that mechanisation, the sort of of trains being used for this sinister purpose, because trains in 1918 are still relatively new they're part of the kind of hopefulness of of um technological development and with it all that sense of progress which we really inherit from the victorian era and what we see here is that owen says but wait now they are being used as part of the machinery of war and with that we see that Um, Europe becomes so much more effective at war because of technological advancement. But what we see there is that the progress that technology, the sort of cultural progress that technology should have promised has now been compromised by the brutality of the new purpose. And I find that to be quite striking and upsetting in this poem, in this poetry too. Mm. So we move off 
move on to the second uh, stanza here. No, third stanza, I should yeah. say. Sorry. Um, with Dal Porter's Potters. Oh, Dal Porter's watched them. <laughs> Lockdown is difficult. Dal yeah. Porter's watched them and a casual tramp stood staring hard. Sorry to miss them from the upland camp. Um, and I'm, I'm quite, I, I have questions about casual tramp. I think I would have to research what that that means for 1918 mm. but I find it quite interesting the dull porters and I think a porter is someone that is watching this watching the trains or man the man's yeah. the trains that's watching them but interesting they're describing them as dull you know almost like they would need want that I feel like a, a slight judgment on their um on their attitude towards war not being able to be part of the action I'm not too sure what do you think Oh, I definitely think so. I think that um, that Owen throughout his poetry is very angry, actually, with the society that is he sees as permissive, that has allowed these young men and indeed encouraged these young men in some poems to go out to war without warning them without and without mourning them. And so for me, the dull porters... Um, who stand by and let the young men go, don't, uh, I, I, for me, Owen is angry with them because they have not protested. They've simply accepted and they're older, so they're not going to war and they just watch without um, outrage, without the outrage that clearly this narrator feels. They are, to me, part of, a society that has allowed this devastation to occur. Mm. And I think the casual tramp is another um, person within the poem stood staring hard. So perhaps an acknowledgement um, that this is a difficult journey for these soldiers um, in that moment. Um, Yeah, I think so. Sorry to miss them from the upland camp. And, And that to me is, again, really sad because he presumably, I, I mean, I don't have any specific knowledge of the casual tramp, but he's hes sort of seen them at, while they've been at training camp before they are deployed to the battlefield. And to me, that sort of seems like they're young. You know, hes he's liked having them around because they're young and carefree and, and sort of cheerful and he'll miss them. Mm. Uh, and then I, I find it interesting, and we just talk about what you were talking about before about the um, mechanization, perhaps, or the because here we have to end of this third stanza is a personification of the um, train signals here, mm. who are unmoved. Um, they nod, um, and the lamp winked to the guard. Um, I find that quite interesting that the signals is sort of um, being brought to life and maybe an illusion that these men are part of the machinery as well, that they're just, um, it is, they are part of the machinery of war, I think, towards that end here, that they're just, they're becoming uh, maybe just as inanimate as um, a train signal. I definitely think so. I definitely think so. And I'm thinking um, back to that idea of, of the sort of, the technology sort of used for an awful purpose. They say, I think this is true, They and the children should check this, but I I think it's true that World War I is the first um, machine gun war and the Vietnam War is the first helicopter war. And with each of these technological innovations 
becomes an increased capacity for devastation. And I think you're absolutely right that with the personification of the, um, of the machine, you get the depersonalization of the young men. Mm. And what do we think of Winks to the Guard? It's like they know. You know, there is the, the, the signal knows. It, it's, it's this knowing wink. The only people who don't understand, the only thing that doesn't understand that these young men are going to die are the young men. The signal nods and a lamp winks to the guard like they're all in on this terrible secret. So, you know, the next stanza goes, so secretly like wrongs hushed up, they went. You know, the, the dull porter watches, the casual tramp watches, and they all know that these men will go to die, but the young men don't. And I think Owen has this um, endless sympathy for the young men in all his poems. Um, and as a result of that sympathy, he has a real anger directed to those at home. With And, I, and to me, that next, the stanza, that short stanza, nor there if they yet mock what women meant who gave them flowers, I think is part of that, you know, um, that Owen as different obviously from miniskirts and minefields. Owen um, is very focused on the soldiers and he has this attitude to the women who remain at home and he doesn't know exactly whether to blame them or not. You know, the women have given them these flowers, this celebration, and he feels angry with that and he wonders whether um, where, where the soldiers go to, they know now that they should mock the women's naivety in giving them the flowers. But it reminds me too of in, um, in, in the sonnet that he writes that's in the pack, the, the pallor of girls' brows, you know? And, yes. And in that poem, the real pathos where Owen says, yes, he believes that the girls at home uh, understand the grief in a way that the older people who are represented in this poem by the dull porters just don't understand. So I think that he is more ambivalent in his presentation of the young women and we see the sort of blame that he attaches to them or mockery of their behaviour in this poem, whereas in that later poem he recognises their grief. Mm. I found it interesting before the women, we never heard to which front they were, they, these were sent. Mm. Um, and that conspiracy um, coming through again, you know, the winking, the hushing up, the mm. collusion, the machine, the collusion, and the real sense of hopelessness that we're never actually going to hear um, how they died or where they died. There's a sense of um, never returning, which I think then speaks to that last stanza here of shall they return to beatings of great bells in wild train loads. Yeah, definitely. And I think that one of the things that you could track in this poem, um, again, right from the start, is the sibilance in it. So sibilance is, um, just for the children, sibilance is a repeated S sounds. So not just... Um, not just alliteration, so not just at the start of a, of, a, of a word, but all the way through. So in that stanza you're talking about, Mr. Woon, you've got so secretly, like wrongs, they went, they were not ours, to which these were sent. 
Um, and all of that sibilance creates a tone of whispering um, that reinforces the sense in which someone is talking about the young men, but they don't know, you know, as they sing. Oh, God, it's so sad, Mr. Woon. It is very sad. And I think this is one of the interesting comparisons because, you know, Owen is writing this um, in terms of, you know, I think this, the subject is perhaps um, watching soldiers being loaded into these trains, being sent off to war. Um, and there's a real sense of helplessness and futileness, or, well, not enough, um, that these men are futility, um, which is quite in contrast to the women that we see in minefields and miniskirts at the very beginning, where they're joyfully singing, leaving on a jet plane. Um, they talk about the sense of duty as to why they're why, where they're going and why they're going. Um, and we'll be looking at a little bit more um, at their quotes and their dialogue in class. Um, but I think there's quite an interesting contrast about the attitudes to war, um, especially since Owen's poem um, predates Minefields and Miniskirts, that, you know, 60 years later in a, uh, well, not 60 years later, it's the Vietnam War, but um, Minefields and Miniskirt is written in the early 2000s, I believe, um, looking back at war. And we still, and I think, find it quite interesting that it still starts with a sense of optimism. Um, and I mm. think that's something interesting for the students to think about in terms of that experience of war. And despite this poem being made in the early 20th century, um, we're still setting people off to war. And I think that's something the students can kind of think about when reading Minefields and Miniskirts um, and looking at what um, a poem like The Send-Off is trying to say about the beginnings and sending people off to the battlefield. Do you know, Mr. Wayne, I think it's really interesting that you say that they're um, singing Leaving on a Jet Plane because as you were saying that, I thought, you know, Owen writing this poem, the narrator, so not to confuse Owen and the narrator, but the narrator sees the young men and knows where they're going. And Owen um, reading uh, a sort of uh, a little bit of a views and values background of this poem, Owen knows by this stage what war is like. He's survived the Battle of the Somme where so many people died. It was terrible and the mud, the, the, the mud was red in that battle. So it was very, very terrible and brutal. Um, but, but the soldiers going off to this war, going off now, don't know. And to me, they sing the way the, um, the young women at the start of Miniskirts and Minefields sing, which makes me think that in a way, um, the author, the playwright of um, Miniskirts and Minefields positions us, the audience, we the audience, like the narrator in this poem, The Send-Off, we know that the Vietnam War is, was terrible and, and um, a civilization breaking experience. And so as we see them, as we sit in the theater and see them sing, we know that there is a darkening of lanes. And although they can't see, although they sing and can't see the darkening of lanes, we know that it's there. And so in a way we are positioned like this narrator in this poem to see their tragic, tragic vulnerability because we know that their hopes are going to be muddied by the mm, end. Mm. 
Yeah, and I think to finish off the poem with the last stanza, yep. the question he also answers the question. Mm. Um, um, the, the um in the last stanza, a few, a few, too few for drums and yells. Um, you know, not many people are returning. Woolworth gets to return, but I find it interesting in the last two lines of the poem that even if they do come back, um, that this is kind of haunting up half-known ro- roads um, and then that may creep back silent. And, you know, we uh, that, that notion of post-traumatic stress disorder, yeah. um, that they're sort of going to, even if they do come back, they're not going to be the same. They're not going to be able to recognise um, sort of the village that they, they have come from. And I think that's quite um, a haunting end to the poem that even if they do manage to survive and come back in that same in that train in the trains, um, they're not really going to be alive. They're not going to really be the same person. Absolutely, they creep back, um, and they are clearly devastated compared with the way they um, sing as they go down the close darkening lanes. You know, so they're marching to war, but they creep back. And I think if for me in that final stanza, that repetition of those L sounds, those long L's, the great bells, the yells, the still village wells, um, really slows the pace of the poem and it makes it sound like a lament. And I think that line that um, may creep back silent to the still village wells Um, is really an example of Owen's poetry at its very, very best. His capacity to slow down the pace Mm. of this poem um, and to force us to recognise the transformation of not just the men who will creep back, but the village wells, because normally everyone would gather around the village well and talk and and. It would be a real meeting place. And now they are still as well. And the half-known roads are half-known by, um, by the young men who are so terribly altered by the experience of war. But I think that they are also, the, the half-known roads are probably also only half-recognisable by the people who have remained behind because the world is different now. And mm. that, to me, is part of the pathos of the poem. And our pathos is the emotional quality, right? Yep. With the yes. poem, same as a play. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, for this, because good language to use, because we are looking at a play, and I think pathos is quite an uh, apt word to describe um, the other poems are going to look at Owens, uh, because I think a lot of his poems are harrowing in nature, uh, harrowing and haunting are the mm. two ways I like to describe his poetry. Um, and I think we can look at this poem um, and think about uh, um when we look closer at the prologue in scene one in class um, for minefields and miniskirts, I think we need to uh, remember what, uh, reflect on the pathos of this poem, drawing out some of the messages here and seeing how that contrasts or the foreshadowing that the playwright does in minefields and miniskirts. Well, it's not really foreshadowing, isn't it? It's kind of a foregone conclusion, really, because we all know that the Vietnam War um, was quite terrible. Um, as all walls are, um, but the beginning is quite interesting because, yeah, the living on the jet plane is both optimistic, but also we know that they're going to not um, be in a place that's going to be the, the adventure that they may seek. Yeah, I know, but I 
thinking about leaving on a jet plane, don't know when I'll be back again. And I think that, you know, it does have that sort of sinister tone to it as well, you know, that they're leaving on a jet plane and that's exciting, but they don't know when they'll be back. And we add to that if they'll be back. Mm. I also want to put in, Mr. Moon, because you're talking about PTSD, that again, in my brief Google search of this poem and um, Wilfred Owen, one of the things that it did flag was that um, in 1917, after the Battle of the Somme, Owen um, was sent home. He was invalided home um, because he had um, PTSD. They didn't call it that then. They called it shell shock. And he was actually in a, um, a sanatorium, what they called a sanatorium, which we would now call a mental hospital, um, for a period during 1917 and then volunt voluntarily rejoined his group in 1918 because he didn't want to leave the um, the young men at the front by himself but he by themselves rather but he suffered terribly from shell shock um, as a result of the Battle of the Somme and although he doesn't write about it this description of them creeping home is I think quite um, reminiscent of the way in which he was invalided home. He crept home. Although he was physically all right, his mind had, um, had really buckled under the terrible pressure he was under. That being said, he also was awarded um, uh, at least one and I think several um, medals for bravery. So it, it's not to say anything about um, how he behaved in the battlefield but certainly it had a terrible impact on his mm. mental health mm. well thanks for that dr shaw now my 11 english class um if you're listening and if or if you're from another 11 english class what we're going to do with this what you need to do with this poem is to make sure that you have written down some annotations alongside the poem uh, because you're going to need to reference them uh, when we look at the close um monologues of the five women in Mindfulness and Municipalities in the prologue and that'll be our next task and thank you Dr Shaw today for joining us. Thank you so much Mr Woon. I as I say I love to read a good poem and I've never read this one before so it's been very interesting for me and I will be most interested to hear of how the children compare this with Miniskirts and Minefields a most interesting play. Okay thank you.